Following is a fan-made reading of the pale web serial novel by J.C. McRae. It describes extra material published after chapter 5.2 and contains spoilers for that chapter. The original text can be found at palewebserial.wordpress.com. If you'd like to donate to the author, please go to patreon.com slash Thank you for listening. Notes on Fay by A. Kelly and S. Drop Mid-surveillance, we're finding we're stumbling over classifications and ideas. What fairy tales best fit each court and stuff? So I offered to compile the info we have and ask some questions. High slash bright spring. Aristocrats and gilded things. Craftiness and craftsmanship. They're really, really, really good at lying without actually saying lies. Words that keep coming up are queens and princes, lords and ladies, and other titles. Some of this stuff comes with other courts, but with high spring stuff seems to start and finish with it. Other stuff includes gold and silk, politics and political intrigue, and high society thing like parties and balls, but without the society beneath to justify it. Marichika heard my take and says, to paraphrase, All courts have lords and ladies. The higher a fairy rises in status, the more they have to deal with the spring courts. A sufficient rise can see one join the high spring. Giheme says, They build cities with their glamour, and build illusions of something bigger with their words. They don't often interact with the fairy or humanity, and this is a boon. You can catch them off guard. They wish dearly to keep up with the time and trends, but struggle to do so because of courtly obligation. Use this when negotiating with them. Offer them a lesson in modern culture. Toad Swallow's take on High Spring. I went over what I wrote down and what Guy and Marichika said. Their twit glitter is flimsy and fragile. They're fairy who mostly deal with other fairy and mess with practitioners, so think of them like concentrated fairy. Insufferable tits. Toadswallow thinks fairy started out with glamour and got good at the social stuff as a way to help sell it and distract people long enough for the glamour to set, and the high spring fairy are concentrated versions of this. To deal with them, he says, you have to fight decorum and fancy. Be a jerk. Be crude. Catch them off guard. Kick in the door, crap on the floor, and insult them to their faces. Question everything, and don't let them tell you something's gold without biting it to test the softness. In the high spring court, you're going to find a lot of snooty arrogance from twits, that's Toadswallow's word, who can't fight to back it up. They are really bad at fighting, apparently, but they use other courts to get soldiers or knights that they keep close in case of problems. High slash bright summer, Guillaume's court. The court of heroes and adventurers, ranging all over. They seem to focus a lot on specific stories, romances, comedies, tragedies, epics, and dramatic moments. Concepts that keep coming up include duels, so they're good at fighting fancy, and relationships. Can't think of any other fairy stuff where relationships have ever been mentioned. Next to the following, there is a picture of Gihime flexing. Gihime, who doesn't pose like in my picture, says, High summer holds the borders of the fairy realm. We cover the widest territories, and when fairy go to war with outside forces, we are oft at the front of that war, not as an army of stock soldiers, but as an army of thousands of heroes, worthy of their own myths. We know the heart of glamour. We see when abyssal forces linger on our borders for long enough that they take some fay into themselves, and eat and breathe glamour for long enough. We must often confront the weaknesses of the very arts we use, or else our enemies will confront us with it instead. Keep it close to ourself and our hearts. Strengthen that self and that heart, and it will endure. Our enemies will not. Marichika says, 
It's an army of soldiers fighting to be better than the rest. To fail to stand out is to fail to be a proper summer fairy. You cannot manage an army that way. Look past their rank and file of heroes with titles, and you'll see the bandages and ploys that they use to shore up what doesn't truly work. A king and queen who properly belong in winter. Forces of centaurs and minotaurs to shore up their number and give them lessers to order around. And the agents of darker cores like mine, who use subterfuge to kneecap the enemy when too many of summers decide to put great heroic plans into action when a simple patrol or patient siege would do instead. All around the edges of this vast and pretty realm of theirs are signs of the compromises they made with other things, some goblin adjacent, some fairy, even some abyssal. But only if they are pretty enough or willing to be decked out in pretty armor and hide their faces. Toad Swallow's input on High Summer. You've heard me say it and I'll say it again. They don't know how to fight. Fighting is scrapping. They duel all pretty and then act offended when the other guy kicks them in the knee and bites off their man nipples. They're drama nerds, hippies, and larpers who didn't earn the muscles, height, or other assets they've got. A lot of them didn't even earn the stories they tell, embellishing until they believe it. If some honeymead-scented oaf of a fae is calling herself the Knight of the Red Pyre, don't go fighting her and letting her set you on fire. Go look at the title, especially with the lesser ones who are trying to stand shoulder to shoulder with their important buddies. Dig into the story and look for witnesses. That's how you break them. Those fawns, minotaurs, and whatever else's, most of them are starved for a bit of normal after spending decades with these oafs who suck their own... They've only got a couple of their own ilk to hang with. Crack a joke at your own expense, share a drink, and they'll be your best friends. Good way to get the dirt you need. Hi slash Brightfall. These guys focus on change, changing, and exchange. Those things cover transformation, constantly shifting positions and dynamics, markets, manipulation, and back-and-forth betrayals. If the High Summer Fae watch the perimeter, these guys deal with tunnels, caves, back doors, and ways through to other places. Or our world. They're apparently broody and melodramatic, and mingle a lot with other non-fairy others and with humans. They love rises and falls, individual status, and stories. Gihime says, Seeing the courts outlined like in your notes can lead one to think that they are the rabble or commoners, the High Spring Court the nobles, and the High Summer the military. This is not so. Each is its own culture, and the bright autumn court benefits from being thought of as lesser. Some may be shabbily dressed, but pretty in their own ways. Or you might find the small fairy in their number, cooking, cleaning, or selling knick-knacks for the equivalent of pennies. All is by its design, and all are conniving. Fairy have, in the wake of man's rise, but the bright fall fairy have adapted and weathered this better than any though some would say it wasn't without cost and a loss of what makes them fey. They scrabbled and fought, even climbing over one another, to establish a place in the meaning, and you or anyone else they might deal with are the handholds and footholds by which they achieve this scrabbling. If you find yourself in dire need, you could seek them out. They'll give you answers, cures for illness, madness, or a curse. They can transform you, permanently or temporarily, or give you a magic item. Just know that when you strike the deal... The price they ask of you will seem, and be, Marichika adds, to be exorbitant, paid in favor, barter, or coin. The actual price you pay will become clear in time, and will exceed the given price by ten times or more. Marichika adds, Their love of beginnings makes them fond of children and preying on a child's naivete. This can be used against them if you vain such. 
else turn them against one another or turn the bartering into a game of very high stakes. Their love of endings gives them a secret wish for a dramatic loss or fate. Use this, but do not lose if you do. Toad Swallow on Bright Autumn Their markets are so steeped in cheating and unfairness, you can steal, cheat, or rob them, and it's not going to count against you. It's a whole other game where they protect wares and have special measures set up. Some even want you to steal something they've cursed or made part of a bigger story. But if you're there out of desperation, it can be better to steal it and deal with the traps and consequences then and there, while your desperation gives you an edge, instead of waiting for it to hit you years down the line. Outside the market, you can find fairy, half-fairy, and fairy researchers, inventors, and others, trying to work out the next big fashion, making magic items or using glamour to blend a man with a mystery or mix a child together with a dream. I don't very well effing know. They're looking for opportunity. Don't be that opportunity. The Winter Court Fairy talk about winter like it's dying. They talk about the winter fay with a mix of pity and what might be fear. Eccentric, stuck in loops, mad, imperious. The way they describe it, if you live long enough, you can run out of things to do. Or you figure out a best way of doing things, and what you do all the time is this optimized, perfected approach, and doing otherwise feels bad or feels like a failure. So between these things, you can get stuck, and with the rest of eternity ahead of them, a fairy could lose it. So it's kind of like a prison, and kind of like death, and kind of like an asylum. And they really don't like talking about it, especially Gihime. They say they become boredom, or become their rut or whatever. Even when they face new things, they know enough about art or music or social situations that it sucks the fun out of it, as if every movie was spoiled. Gihime didn't want to talk about it much. He said he'd lost some friends to winter. A lady fairy who ventured westward past the ends of the earth and never ceased. She became the journey, I guess. A fairy who had his mind damaged by seeing something horrific a goblin made would forget he had played out a particular story and kept trying to rope his friends into it. As Gihime said, they had to condemn him to winter, or he would have dragged them all there in his place. He apparently screamed and fought the entire way, until a lady of winter took him into her embrace and then led him numb to his new accommodations. Marichika smiled and told me she had told me all she intended to tell me, unless something specific came up. Except later when I was asking Gihime about stuff, she teased him about winter. She asked if I wanted to know things about non-fairy in winter, but I had to run to get home for dinner. I asked about it a couple days later, when it was just me and her, and she gave me the I told you all I intended line again. Toad Swallow says, Practice is pattern, and Winter Fay have been stuck in their patterns for a long, long time. They're very strong, and even most practitioners steer clear. Even goblins usually stay away, but for different reasons. They're like robots, numb and stuck in routines. And what's the fun in fighting something that doesn't hurt? Dark slash low spring. Spring in shadow. So, apparently the dark spring courts are way more with the times in the spring court, with a lot of the modern mixed in with the medieval. The upside, as I understand it, is they're the fastest on the uptake with stuff like sexuality and gender identity and race, where the high spring court aren't even caught up all the way to this century. That's about the only good thing I've heard about them. The impression Lucy Verona and I get is they like celebrity and trends and hip new things, but there's an underlying culture of those in charge ruling over those on the bottom, and they rule with fear. Keywords that keep popping up are art, emotion, tragedy, pain, darkness. They like bugs and bone decoration, wearing skin, but really, each ruler designs their own realm with rules and aesthetic. Verona says it's like what would happen if all of our childhood cartoons ended with the bad guys killing the princess and taking over the kingdom, and they were all one setting. Gihime says, Decorum and rules matter here. 
know how a lady should act, how to defer to rank, and show respect. In the bright spring, these things may be the golden threads they use to hang you. In the spring below, the lack of decorum is their justification to destroy you, and it would be a long and slow destroying. Their glamour is focused on the darker emotions, pulling on heartstrings, and they can read you at a glance and know exactly where your weak points are. Strong fae of this court can emulate other practices with glamour, so know your way around curses and summon others. The lowly fae of this court are the most dangerous, for they brim with resentment and will not wait for a social misstep. Marichika says about Darkspring, She's been there twice, and she thinks it's fun. She says it's like the equivalent of one of us getting to go to the red carpet stuff at Hollywood. They have beautiful fairy, even among other fae, and cutthroat, sometimes literally cutthroat, fashion. There's a major blend of our celebrity stuff with old stuff, with an intensity and intention to the art of things that leads to the trends in other courts. It drives High Spring Fae crazy the last century or so. These are Fae who use guns and swords at the same time, build skyscrapers and castles in the same place, and make it match. Which I, Avery, do have to admit, sounds cool. Snowdrop translated. But if you bow too fast or too slow, or not at all, or at the wrong person, they'll torture you for a few centuries, then turn you into a pair of ballet shoes. Me, this is true. Toad Swallow doesn't have much to add. Hasn't been there and doesn't run into them. They deal with other fae and high-society humans, and goblins don't run into them a lot. He thinks the same things that work against High Spring Fairy probably apply, but they might be even more fragile. Or they might lean on fear to distract people from breaking glamour. Dark Summer slash Summer Below Monstrous Fairy The fairy tale trolls, ogres, and other lumbering monsters find allies in these fae, who have given up a lot of what makes a fairy a fairy. They're not always subtle, and they're not always pretty, and they're not very fragile. Key words are instinct, savagery, violence, scars, blood, brutality. The goblins love to tell the stories of these guys, so it's pretty easy to draw those associations. Verona thinks they remind her of a fantasy book, like swords and sorcery being adopted by the fairy, kind of. Lucy wondered at one point if they were something like an antibody or failsafe. Something familiar the fairies keep around as a way to deal with some very anti-fairy threats or problems that could do a lot of damage otherwise, or stirring things up and breaking them down without weakening the fairy realms, because they're still made of glamour and understand glamour. Dunno. Guillaume says, Those monsters that are of fairy have strengths and weaknesses befitting fairy, but it isn't always obvious. What they give up in weaknesses they gain in other needs. For some, the fairies' dependence on words and wordcraft matter more, and they must finish their pronouncements, tell their story, or get you to invite your own demise. A fun diversion. For others, they must make you a part of their story, a ritual of deeds or actions that give them permission to come for you. Three nights plus three days of stirring a pot and getting the recipe right before they can devour you, in one case. For others, they cannot eat glamour and must eat regularly. Often meat. Marichika says, I think it speaks a great deal that our local sun-touched oaf can speak of his nemesis court with a faint smile on his face. I could tell you stories of a madwoman fay I once knew from Summer in Shadow, and while it may have been a test of my patience, the stories I was left with are good ones. If you ask the goblins, those who have encountered this court would have their own stories. So, yes, while they may eat hearts or collect skulls, they retain the fairy's social adroitness, turning it away from grace and towards crafting good stories from within the story, oft by playing the heel. Cherry Pop, paraphrasing, because this is hard to follow. She roared and then she... She makes punchy noises. In the face!
face. And she said, you're bleeding and you should surrender. But you didn't, I know you won't. And she said, you won't ever. And she was right. She was right. Then she took to glamour. She, she makes pushy motions down his throat. She whispers loud enough for everyone to hear that he should bleed forever. And then he did. He did. Blood all over the place forever. <laughs> Toad Swallow. If you three ladies keep dealing with Fairy, you'll learn that you need to break their stride. Don't let them tell the story. Jump in and tell your own part of the story. If it doesn't sound as nice, or you feel like you're ruining the story, good. The more ruined, the better. Practice in real life with your grandmothers or random strangers. If they tell you about your day, interrupt to bring up your dog dying. Learn it, because these guys, they're the test. If they pull you into their tails, they've got you, and they'll eat you, or worse. Darkfall, Marichika's Court Other courts change. The court of the Darkfall is mostly made up of the changed, the changing, and the exchanged. The stories of changelings who are fae placed in a crib to replace a child that is stolen away are mostly based on this court. Fae from the Darkfall may be the cursed of other courts finding refuge, the transformed, and those who wear more than one skin. They are the best at moving in shadows, because so many are used to hiding and they share tricks among one another. They're also described as being pretty monstrous, not in shape or anything, but in what they'll do with stolen children, selling them or changing them to different forms. Human-animal forms or forced transformations to the animal or monstrous are pretty common. These guys can harbor a lot of grudges, and they seem to use kids as, like, sharpening stones for the tools they want to use for revenge. Really good at transforming, and Marichika says they're resistant to winter? Marichika says, My court, I'm born to it. Everyone wears a false face when they approach the world, and some faces are falser than others. I can argue that nothing, metaphorically speaking, is set in stone, and nothing, faced with all the strangeness the world can bring to bear, can be truly guaranteed. My court takes these ideas and spins them out in glamour. We allow indulgence in all things, and we rule nothing out. For those who want dark secrets or power, with a few specific exceptions, our markets sell all things, including that knowledge. Darkness deeper than any court, paired with points of hope so bright and focused they can blind. I would not trade my court for any other. Gihime says, There are rules on who and what they can take. They say the very young can only be taken if the parents ask for it. A mother at her wit's end over her squalling child may say something she doesn't truly mean, and something at the window may listen. Once a child has autonomy, they must invite it themselves, or else accept an invitation to run away, to join a circus or such. For all that Marichka says she loves her court, she and her peers seem to work harder than the members of any court to find a place to stay that isn't there. Keep an eye out for bone, for hair, for shed feathers and shed skins, for carcasses with essential pieces missing, and for dolls and other children's things that are made of the macabre or curious materials. These things left here and there can mark the activities of the Dark Fall. They may operate in groups or with singular agents, and will travel to and from the markets in shadow with their gains. Should they transform you, seek a rinse, a violent impact, or a physical reminder of who you are meant to be. But if this occurs, then chances are good that you're as good as in their grasp. Toadswallow says, They'd be good company if they weren't so wrapped up in their misery, trying to convince anyone who will listen that they're piteous. Their market is safer than the bright one, my dears, but only because of the dangers are either obvious, or you'll know to stay clear because the trap is too well wrought for you to ever notice. Notes on Goblins Notes on the fake chords are done, and since we're doing surveillance on everyone, I thought I'd cover goblins too. Snowdrop is excited for this one. 
We don't have courts, but there are a few ways of categorizing them. Their size, apparently. It seems like mostly, the bigger the goblin, the more respect and power it has. Then there are these titles or labels they get that cover their talents. So we have, in Kennet, Blunt Munch, bigger than my dad, Lung. Nat can be a bit under four feet tall, but hunches over, so she looks smaller. She's a hack, apparently. Gashwad, 3.5 feet tall, scrapper, but better as a blighter? Toad Swallow, 3 feet tall, described as a shitter. Buddy, 2 feet tall, but round, bulge. Doglick, 2 feet tall, but moves on all fours. Nipper, cherry pop, rat size, no job slash title. Names seem to be punchy and cover their abilities and qualities. Cherry Pop says there's a tier of goblin lower and more common than her. They're bundles of wispy hair without any real bodies, and they're way, way dumber than she is, only reacting to basic stimuli, a word I learned in biology, like prodding or breathing on them. They lurk in goblin-y dark places, too. Maybe some sign of where goblins come from? Interesting. Never mind. Talk to Snowdrop. They're dust bunnies. On to further research. Started to try and track the categories and stuff. Gremlins are goblins who work with technology. Not so good at fighting, but they can take stuff apart and put some basic traps and weapons together. So I'm figuring they have their own categories. We also know that big goblins can get fancy names. These names aren't usually so rude or borderline rude. So can a goblin graduate? How does it work? Like, Wad, a new goblin, turns into Meat Wad, gets name with something more vicious to it, like Blunt Munch as Munch, turns into Meat Grinder, loses child name, gains something more intimidating, turns to Meat Grinder, the eater of all grandpas, gets a fancy title to commemorate Big D or whatever. Then titles or roles like Shitter are waypoints or signals for what they want to end up as. Never mind. At Snowdrop's recommendation, I asked around with all the goblins about what their titles were. Blunt is a head, Toad is a knob, Nat is a mangler. They make it up all the time. There are no fixed labels. I wasted so much time on this. Goblins are a pain. This has been a fan-made reading of the extra material from the web serial Pale by J.C. McRae, read by me, Hey, It's the Guy. The original text can be found at palewebserial.wordpress.com. If you'd like to donate to the author, please go to patreon.com slash wildbow.